With Long Island local news on Tuesday, August 22nd, 2023, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. New York Governor Kathy Hochul on Friday announced the opening of the Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center's new $3.3 million facility on the east side of SAG of the SAG uh, Bridge Turnpike, situated on six acres donated to create Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center in the early 1950s. The state-of-the-art 7,828-square-foot building marks a significant milestone in expanding vital services and serving lower-income working families living on Long Island's East End. With a focus on affordable child care, enriching summer programs and diverse recreational activities, Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center empowers families and children while fostering social development. Quote, this new facility will help expand access to the high-quality child care options and educational programs families on the East End and across Long Island deserve, Governor Hochul said. By investing in this state-of-the-art facility, we are investing in working parents and giving them the support they need to remain in the workforce while providing their kids with academic enrichment and care, end quote. The Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center, a historically black community-based institution, has been a beacon of support for marginalized East End children and working families for generations. As a cornerstone of the East End community, BHCCRC promotes the well-being and sustainable growth of the region. Executive Director Bonnie Michelle Kennan said, quote, We want everyone to know that the center does way more than child care and recreational activities. We are a full-service community center that has been here for 70 years. Every student gets personal mentoring and one-on-one guidance. We create opportunity and help level the playing field for our marginalized children and families. We pride ourselves on being a family, end quote. In other, t- uh, in other news, when it comes to a taste for the finer things in life, New Yorkers have it in the bag. A new survey ranked our state as the most bougie in the country, thanks to ritzy residents' insatiable appetite for classy couture, glam, gems, and dazzling designer handbags. Asia Grace reporting in the New York Post that the Empire State was granted its most bougie moniker via an analysis conducted by gold and silver retailer SD Bullion. The report reviewed the Google trend data for 50 keywords related to expensive taste, including brands, products, and precious metals, and New York took the top spot for interest in authentic luxury labels. Bougie, slang from bourgeoisie, has often uh, been used as an insult, meaning someone with a lot of money but no taste. However, in the Big Apple, the superlative still isn't good enough for some upscale Upper East Siders with a hunger for all things haute. Instead, stylish mamas like Victoria Lag are taking the city's rep for swankiness to new heights as leaders of the trending Birkin Mom movement. Quote, a Birkin mom is a chic, effortless mom who has refined style, confidence in parenting, and is the epitome in class and elegance. Lag32, a lifestyle content creator and mom of three, told The Post she always has a Birkin at hand, even when running errands with her kids. End quote. Meanwhile, the new Most Bougie survey also shouted out states such as California, Hawaii, New Jersey, and Nevada for top billing as the most shishi locations across the nation. Oh. And finally, firearm deaths nationwide among children and adolescents surged more than 40% between 2018 and 2021, according to new research published by New Hyde Park, Long Island-based Northwell Health, and the Feinstein Institutes for Medical Research. Michael O'Keefe reporting on Newsday.com that gun violence overtook traffic accidents as the leading cause of death among people under the age of 19 in 2020, according to the paper Trends and Disparities in Firearm Deaths Among Children, which was published yesterday in the journal Pediatrics. That is a striking uh, statistic. Dr. Chetan uh, Sathya, the director of Northwell Health's 
Center for Gun Violence Prevention and one of the authors of the paper said the research shows a strong correlation between poverty and firearm deaths. He said the data shows gun violence is one of the nation's most pressing public health crises and demonstrates the need for programs that promote firearm safety and address violence as well as the root causes of inequality. Reading the weather here in Southampton as Long Island Care CEO Paul Pachter will be joining us in the WLIWFM studio at the bottom of the hour for a special in conversation about food insecurity. Looking like a mostly sunny Tuesday with a high near 77 degrees. North wind 11 to 15 miles per hour. Tonight mostly clear with a low around 53 degrees. Calm wind becoming north around 6 miles per hour after midnight. Right now it's 69 degrees and we are moving from trees to food. I know I'm going to be bunny hopping past one track. Uh, so let's see what I've got for you. All right, so I'm going to play Sam Evian's Cherry Tree, but then I'm going to hop past the Nationals' Cherry Tree to play uh, Montauk Annie Trezza's Drinking Beneath the Pear Tree. Then I think I'll bunny hop past Ed Renahan and Pete Seeger's The Moon in the Pear Tree to play Belly's Feed the Tree. We'll move to Poor Man's Poison, Feed the Machine, and we'll get into our food songs there. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Sam Evian, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLI, WFM 88.3 on the FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online to wherever you may be at WLIW.org slash radio. Cherry tree hung over me Waving with empathy Falling fires lay me down Cherry tree, cherry tree 
probably should stop drinking Cause I never seem to think the right way When alcohol was part of my day You're listening to a special In Conversation on WLIWFM about food insecurity during a time of great need across Long Island. Our guest is Paul Pachter, President and CEO of Long Island Cares, the Harry Chapin Food Bank. Thank you for being with us, Paul. Thank you. It's my pleasure. A little note on on numbers before we begin here, because sourcing information is very important. And I want to encourage folks to know theirs. I got all numbers for this chat from Feeding America, and they can be they can all be found on the Long Island Cares website. Statewide, more than 2.4 million New Yorkers classify as food insecure with one in four adults here on Long Island facing food insecurity. That's 221,000 Long Islanders whom are food insecure and 65,000 of those Long Islanders are children. Can we talk about these numbers and how the pandemic, as well as skyrocketing food costs, have impacted the numbers of people whom are relying on organizations like Long Island Cares to get along? Well, of course, first of all, uh, the COVID pandemic resulted in about 400,000 more people needing food assistance during the pandemic. Uh, People were out of work. People were home from school. Those children who rely upon the free or reduced school meals program uh, really didn't have access to them, Uh, although some school districts did mobilize to provide food for the children. 
you know, we were, to, you know, at Long Island Cares, we're, we're talking about over 2,000 seniors who needed our support, uh, almost 2,000 veterans who needed our support, uh, and over 900 homeless individuals who were living on the streets. So the pandemic brought uh, the need up by close to 72 percent. And what, what we were able to do with the support of local and state governments was to open up 25 temporary pop-up distribution sites throughout Long Island. So we were able to feed people uh, where they are as opposed to having them come to the pantries uh, and the soup kitchens at the time because like everything else, uh, they were closed. But food banks, as you know, uh, are an essential service. And during the pandemic, uh, I think we did some of our best work. And sadly, you know, maybe there was a hope that uh, as the situation, the public health crisis eased or ended, that those numbers would go back down. But Paul, did they? No, uh, much to our surprise, uh, they didn't go down. And as you mentioned uh, a minute ago, uh, the cost of goods right now uh, in the country and certainly on Long Island are up by about 35 to 40 percent. So those people that needed to go to the local supermarket or the corner grocery store were paying more. Right. And in the past year, year and a half, we've seen about a 38 percent increase in the number of people who were coming to the emergency food programs here on Long Island uh, needing some assistance, you know, there are families that need some support, you know, if you have fresh produce or if you have, uh, you know, chickens or other proteins in your freezer, they need that, eggs, milk. Uh, other people needed everything. Mm -hmm. So most of our agencies right now are seeing increases, you know, above 30 percent, close to 40 percent. And we haven't even touched on housing and what that's been doing. Absolutely. Right. Sure. So, you know. Our costs have gone up to purchase food. We purchase most of the food we distribute. And so uh, families continuing to struggle. You know, you mentioned housing. Uh, that's one aspect where people are having uh, great challenges. Uh, certainly uh, accessing health care is taking its toll on families that may be economically marginalized. So it's a big challenge right now that we're seeing. So while we're on this issue, can you talk about how disproportionately uh, food insecurity affects some sects of communities uh, over others? Well, you know, you would anticipate that uh, people who live in a low economic uh, situation in, in communities are struggling more than those that uh, may not be living in economically challenged communities. But when you look at food insecurity on Long Island, it really impacts a very diverse group of people. You know, 26% of the people that are visiting Long Island Care satellite programs are people that are working, holding mm -hmm. down two, three jobs, just right. trying to get by. Uh, others who, you know, rely on government entitlement programs such as the SNAP program or Medicaid and Medicare uh, – they're struggling even more in terms of making ends meet. But if you look at the demographics of Long Island, uh, there is no difference between food insecurity in Roosevelt or food insecurity in Riverhead. It's, you know, just impacting everyone. And, uh, you know, we have to be able to address this in the most comprehensive way that we can. And that's where the public comes in. I'm glad you mentioned SNAP. Because, you know, 41% of food insecure people in Suffolk County are not eligible for nutrition assistance, 34% in Nassau County. Can we talk about current limitations to such programs that lead uh, more than 63,000 Long Islanders to not have enough support mm -hmm. to put food on the table? Well, you know, the problem with the SNAP program from uh, my perch that I have is really that the eligibility criteria uh, for the SNAP program really is not equal in terms of the various regions of the country. In other words, if you're eligible for SNAP, let's say in Biloxi, Mississippi, it's no different than the eligibility if you live in Brookhaven, Long Island. Huh. 
So if and, you, and costs are quite different in those absolutely, places. Absolutely. So if you, you're a family of four uh, and you're eligible for SNAP because your annual income is $51,000, the family in Biloxi, Mississippi, who's earning $51,000, is not living in poverty. But on Long Island, they are. Right. So for years now, we have been trying to advocate and encourage Congress to regionalize the national poverty line. So in other words, if, you know, $51,000 cuts it in Mississippi, it may take $73,000 to cut it in New York. And that is the only way we're going to level the playing field and rise people up if you give them the kind of benefits they need. You know, during the pandemic, as you mentioned, people were getting $90 a month additional SNAP benefits. As soon as the pandemic was over, they lost that $90 or that, you know, $80. And that's what's driving people to the pantries, the fact that they don't have enough SNAP benefits to feed their family for an entire month. And many families and individuals who rely on the SNAP program, usually by the end of the second week of the month, they've expended all the benefit. What other barriers are people facing with regard to needing food and finding it? Well, if you look at it, you know, you mentioned earlier the uh, cost of housing on Long Island, which is absolutely, you know, through the roof. You know, right now, I read something in Newsday a few days ago that the average price of a home in Nassau County is three quarters of a million dollars. Who could afford that? Right. And, and then when you look at renting, it's well, equally as prohibitive. Absolutely. You know, we, we're doing a lot of talking about uh, establishing cool downtowns and workforce housing and affordable housing, you know, in our downtown areas. But if you're going to rent a one-bedroom apartment for $2,400 a month, that's not affordable. Right. That's definitely not affordable housing. And, you know, we really have to look at the housing market and create different tiers in terms of finances. The problem we have on Long Island, as in New York State, Long Island is the NIMBY capital of the state, not in my backyard. So Long Islanders don't want apartments in their downtown. They don't want affordable housing. Uh, To them, affordable housing means, oh, Minority housing, you know, single families, people of color, no, that's not what it means at all. But that's Long Island. It's been that way ever since the island was, you know, civilized, you know, into a society way after, you know, the farms were gone. And that's what people are up against, you know, that nobody wants affordable housing, nobody wants workforce housing, and nobody wants them in their communities. Yeah, they say they want it until... Yeah. Like you said, it's it's in their backyard, and then absolutely the, the tune changes. And you know, it's no different than what we're facing now uh, in the country with immigration. Mm. Nobody wants the immigrants in their backyard. Put up tents, you know, in New York City. You know, take over a state hospital and put them there. But Nassau and Suffolk County, no, thank you. So you know. People are being discriminated against in so many different ways. And really what you're doing is denying them the opportunity to eat, the opportunity to work, and the opportunity to live in a safe environment. Toward this end, let's talk about food insecurity and how it mentally and physically affects those faced with it. It can be devastating. You know, you look at a senior citizen, someone in there, you know, 80s, 90s, who were living alone, uh, maybe lost uh, their lifelong partner, they're struggling. You know, they're dealing with isolation. You know, during the pandemic, that was so elevated with seniors, you know, feeling as if they couldn't go out, they couldn't see their friends, they worried because about it their was health. Because bi- that was a big, I mean, uh, you talk about the, the isolationist part of the pandemic, which obviously we all felt, mm-hmm. but seniors were... Uh, extra yeah. uh, affected because it was s- separate ourselves from our senior people to save their lives. Sure, they had to do that, you know, because first of all, our seniors were susceptible right. to the virus more than people who were younger in age. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were very, very fearful because many of them don't have a social support system. 
Their children, you know, moved away from Long Island. They're living in other states, so they really couldn't turn to their kids to help them out. So it was important to turn to those organizations uh, that support them. And Long Island Cares, during the pandemic, was delivering food to every senior citizen's home that we knew because they couldn't come out. They didn't want to come out. And so we went to their home. You know, there were people who are uh, at home who are ill, they're bedridden, and they can't get to a local pantry. So we visited their homes as well. And then, you know, families with children, they were concerned about school, about the education and how their children would, you know, be able to, you know, achieve what they needed to achieve. And, you know, what do you do with a child that doesn't have a laptop, that doesn't have a tablet and is unable to keep up with the rest of the class that has the technology? So there were many, many challenges that people saw uh, and that, you know, organizations such as ours had to... uh, you know, reconfigure what we were doing. We were available to people seven days a week during the pandemic if needed. Uh, and, you know, to see an additional, you know, 400,000 people, those numbers were completely off the charts right. uh, here on Long Island. And, you know, the good thing about it, if there's anything good about it, is that people realize that on Long Island, at least, the average family is one paycheck away right. from needing the services of a food bank. That's right. And, you know, just to touch on this for a moment, which I guess we can talk about it more, uh, good, nutritious food in one's body or Mm -hmm. uh, uh, very uh, affects one's body and brain Mm -hmm. enormously. So let's talk about the good stuff. We're blessed to be a region flushed with local farmers and farms. Mm Sure. Has this been a boon to Long Island Cares? Well, it's been a boon to Long Island Cares, of course, and all the pantries that we support. Right. You know, we are very fortunate that not only do we have an agricultural community on Long Island with the farmers, but we also have this amazing uh, fishing community. Yes. You know, and during the pandemic, uh, they were really getting hurt, the Long Island fishermen. And we made it our business with the additional uh, state funding that we received through the Nourish New York program to invest about a quarter of a million dollars uh, into the fishing community here on Long Island. And we're still doing it today with the Nourish New York program. We're supporting Long Island fishermen. We're supporting Long Island farmers. Uh, You know, we always, when it comes to purchasing fresh produce, we we prefer to, you know, buy New York and, of course, buy Long Island. And it's symbiotic, too, because remember we had that sort of breakdown uh, through the pandemic as far as uh, being able to get enough food mm-hmm. out to the island. Yeah. The supply chain issues that we saw during COVID uh, certainly impacted us. You know, we place an order for food and usually within five to seven business days, the truck arrives during COVID, we were looking at 12-week backlogs because Crazy. what people didn't realize is that Long Island Cares and the Harry Chapin Regional Food Bank purchases the majority of our food, and we purchase it on the open market. So the same price the supermarket is paying for a truckload of you know lettuce, we're paying the same thing. Wow. And of course, the prices jumped yes. because of the pandemic, because everyone was having uh, challenges with the supply chain and getting things delivered on time. The good news during the pandemic is that Long Islanders really responded to the need, uh, in addition to the many businesses and corporations that have supported us over the four decades that we've been in business. So the issue of having the resources, the money, to bring the food to Long Island, that wasn't an issue. The issue was the time delay for us. You mentioned Harry Chapin. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about Harry's legacy a bit and the founding of the Food Bank in 1980? That'd be my pleasure. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Harry, you know, Harry passed away at 38 years old. But during his career in the 70s, uh, he was the voice in America talking about hunger. He influenced so many people from Bob Geldof to uh, Willie Nelson to Lionel Richie. Uh, you know, he is credited. People don't realize this. He's credited as being the uh, spark that ignited the USA for Africa movement and the song We Are the World. Uh, 
Harry not only called attention to the issue of hunger and food insecurity in the country, but he did something about it. He established two organizations. The first was World Hunger Years, which is now known as Why Hunger, and the second was Long Island Cares. And, you know, of the concert dates that he played during the year, which were approximately 220 concerts, half of them were done as fundraisers for charity, and the other half was done to support his family. And you look back 43 years now and realize that this 38-year-old musician from Long Island has a legacy that has far uh, outlasted uh, his age and years. Right. And, you know, Long Island Cares is part of that legacy. Uh, Harry really believed that the only way you can solve food insecurity was lifting people out of the cycle of poverty, giving them affordable housing, good-paying jobs, and adequate health care. Beautiful, beautiful We're still struggling with that. Right. (laughs) All right, last question is for you, Paul. How did you come to the work? Well, I actually knew of Long Island Cares when it opened up in 1980. You know, as a social worker, I was working in the nonprofit community uh, and saw the story about Harry Chapin. I knew who he was. I had never met him. but so I was familiar with Long Island Cares, but then in 2008, when our former executive director retired, uh, the board of directors did a national search for a new executive director, and uh, I was interviewed five times. <laughs> Finally, after all the interviews, I was offered the position. Uh, I had ideas. I had two passions in my life. One was for helping people. And the other one was music. And I don't know anyone as fortunate as me that can take his two passions and bring them together uh, and then redefine what a food bank can do. Because I think in in the scheme of things in the Feeding America Network, Long Island Cares is really the exception to the rule. There are so many things that we do that other food banks uh, haven't done, the satellite programs, the freestanding pet pantry, some of the advocacy work that we're doing, uh, the fact that we, we have more than 100,000 followers on social media and all through the platforms. Uh, so we've grown the organization. Uh, when I came in 2008, we had 35 staff people. We now have 75. Wow. Our budget was $8.5 million. <clears throat> it's now $36 million. Uh, and the one thing that stays constant is Long Island's fondness for this organization. Uh, Many people have called it historical because we were the first organization uh, on Long Island to address the issue of hunger and food insecurity. And here we are, 43 years later, still doing the same thing. You can visit licares.org for more information. I'm Gianna Volpe, and that was Paul Pachter, President and CEO of Long Island Cares, the Harry Chapin Food Bank, for our In Conversation on Food Insecurity here on WLIWFM.
The JBs giving up food for funk from the past. The P's record. I'm going to play a little J Mankita. This is My Food is Made from Sunshine from the Eat Like a Rainbow record. Uh, Lizzie Hilliard's Share This Food with You in a little interlude into uh, the Yellow Dandies. Food in the wintertime. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome, and you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM 88.3 on the FM dial throughout eastern Long Island and coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online to wherever you may be at WLIW.org slash radio. It's the heart of the East End. The sun shines down without a sound Feeds the plants growing on the ground Helps them grow in every way My food is made from sunshine I got energy to work and play Helps me feel good every day Sleep better at night when I hit the hay My food is made from sunshine The sun shines down upon my Shine through my berries, seeds, and greens. The colors in my food seem brighter every time I dine. When I remember that my food is made from sunshine. back in the playlist really quickly and play a single from 2020. The band is called Poor Man's Poison. It's called Feed the Machine right here on the food edition of The Heart, the weekday morning and midnight show featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station. It's WLIWFM, news you can trust, music you love. Here's to the grave 
ain't fall apart We must remind them what's in store We got them now, just break them down a little bit more Remind the slaves they ain't gonna make it out alive today. I said, hey, you poison the well, watch it all burn, take him straight to hell. He's got the whole world in his hands. It was nice to know you. And just to make it all clear, we want the same thing as you. This will all be over soon. Now here's a little pill, here's the truth. We're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're all gonna die. You feed the machine, bring them all back down to their knees, no time to waste. Remind the slaves, they ain't gonna make it out alive today. I said, hey, hey you, you, poison the well, watch it all burn, take him straight to hell. He's got the whole, whole world, world in his hands, it was nice to know you. Remind the slaves, they ain't gonna make it out alive today. I said, hey, hey you, you, poison the well, watch it all burn, take him straight to hell. He's got the whole world in his hands, it was nice to know you. Picking from the food playlist uh, in the final minutes of the heart this morning. Deep bow to our guests this morning, Alex Farone and Paul Pactor. I'm Gianna Volpe. These are the yellow dandies. We've got Mia Gladstone and a little bit of the turtles to lead you into the NPR news break at the top of the hour. Uh, thank you also to our underwriters, Peconic Landing and Southampton Arts Center, as well as listeners like you who donate to WLIWFM.org. <laughs> Chicken. Hey man, watch it. Oh, even when it's about 10 degrees outside. 
Take it being a neighborhood crawl. A bloody free for all. Now we got gluten free beer, lots of fresh veggies to buy. Because we no longer have to fight for food in the wintertime. Because we got good stores and genetically modified fish. When I was a child, the winters were scary and wild. Well, we no longer have to fight for food in the wintertime. Just for a hot dog. I saw it happen in the blizzard of 93. Oh, the frigid cold did I melt my soul. And the food was running very low. But in the wintertime, you can even buy organic beef. Oh, well, we no longer have to fight for food in the wintertime. Because you got your stores and genetically modified fish. Oh, when I was a child, the winters were scary and wild. Oh, well, we no longer have to fight for food in the wintertime. Oh, well, we no longer have to fight for food in the wintertime. Because we got good stores and genetically modified fish. Oh, when I was a child, the winters were scary and wild. Oh, well, we no longer have to fight for food in the wintertime. All right, I'm actually not going to play Mia Gladstone. I'm going to play Karen O and the Kids. This is Food is Still Hot. And again, a little taste of the turtles to end out the morning. Thank you for joining us here on the Heart of the East End on WLIWFM. Hamburger, cheeseburger, spaghetti rice, french fried potatoes and blue.